episode of Talking Maiden. The podcast of the beast. Of the beast. The podcast of the early years, the nostalgia era podcast. How you doing, Nesbitt? Good. Excellent. So today is the first episode of Iron Maiden. The Iron Maiden. Yeah. The first the, episode. The first, first album. The first album. Right. Yeah. Iron Maiden, the band, if you heard of them. <laughs> um, we did the early years. We got feedback on the early years. We've recapped it. It feels like we've been talking about it for a long time. Yep. But now we're going to do the first album. Right. Because that was a lead up basically for this album. Yeah. So. And it, it's, it's a, a good way to do it because it really puts this album in context. Yeah. But some of the tracks on this album and on Killers, I feel like, you know, <laughs> some of them are, are almost like so recycled in some ways. But it's a, we'll get into that. Yeah. Because these songs tracks. have been kicking yeah. around for a while before they made it on the album. They have. Yeah. 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 So I'm interested to see what kind of take you're going to take on this because you really changed my perspective in the early years. And listening to this album in the lead up to this, I've kind of oscillated based on my mood. Like, I've always loved this album. It's yep. a great album. But I've kind of oscillated between, like, is it a first album that people look at as, like, this rough nostalgia it was so amazing? Or or do people, like, you know, are they building it up too much in their mind? Is it actually a really solid album? And, like, you know, anyway, I, 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 I kind of oscillate on it. There's pieces of it where I see serious... You know, things that could be improved. Oh, yeah. I think this is a classic. It is a classic. Yeah. It's an excellent album. But uh, I don't know. I, 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 Well, I can't wait to break down some of the tracks because <laughs> right. I'm going to give you some different takes on them. So before we get into it, we'll get into a beer. Yeah, one thing before we get into it. Mm. Uh, Sanctuary. Yes. We're dealing with that as a bonus track. So yeah. we're not going to touch that until we're finished going through the album. Okay. Because it technically isn't from this album. Yeah. It was just added to the re-release. Yeah. I didn't I didn't really yeah. include it at all. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's a good so point. We're going for the original yeah. release the eight, of Iron Maiden. Yep. The four and four. Yeah. That's what we're doing. I love it. What, should we get into the beer? Let's get into a beer. Oh, God. We're going to need this. This is the... Uh, the Remember we talked about previously, we, I, I think it was a while back. It might have been even early years where I did that Nova Scotia beer. Yeah. Um, this is... I've got a bunch of them. Um, this is the... Uh, Boxing Rock Brewing Company, Over the Top, Sour Mash Cranberry Wheat Ale. Um, so hmm, we'll that see. That be pretty cool. Sounds good. I've had beers from this brewery before. Yeah, it looks familiar, Boxing yeah. Rock, right? It's, it's like a Shel- pint with... A Shelburne, yeah. Nova Scotia. That's like a pint with octopus legs. Oh, yeah, I never noticed yeah, a pint. Yeah. I know. That's like some amazing Japanese night out. <laughs> <laughs> Do not spend your time! Worrying about those wasted beers. I'm opening this with your with the trooper beer thing. This is a little bit awkward, but here we go. Ah, nice. Pour you first. Oh, it has a cool color. Yeah, it's almost like I guess cranberry something. Yeah, pinkish. I think this could be good. I was a little hesitant at oh, first, yeah. but uh, oh, that's it. Oh, it's sour, really sour. Well, it's a sour mash, but it's. it's I was expecting like a wheat ale. The that's wheat really cancels sour. out the sour, though. It's kind of cool. This is awesome. I love the sour, though. Mmm, ah, that's really good. It's good. Yeah, deadly. So you know what? I my main perspective on this album. Remember, in the early years, we talked about Paul and the new perspective. Yeah. And like you also wrecked Paul for me and the uh, and the solo stuff. Oh right, when we did the DNO right? album. So I I I was you know in the shower this morning and I, I started laughing because I was like I went from going into this podcast like a year ago like Paul's the man, Blaze sucks. 
to now like a huge Blaze fan. <laughs> I don't like Paul. <laughs> yeah. Like you totally flipped me. In uh, case anyone skipped or didn't listen to the uh, the Paul Diano episode where we covered yeah. like a bit of his solo career. Yeah. A few years, the first four albums from his solo career. This is the clip that I think single-handedly uh, ruined Paul Diano for Josh. That's a big step yeah. from this album, yeah, the Killers to yeah. that. So that came out right after Killers. So. Yeah, and then that 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 was the bookend after his career that just destroyed it. But the <laughs> early years ruined what I thought was his influence on these albums. Oh yeah, you know, as yeah. some people, you know, called in and and kind of highlighted. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so let's get into set it. Set the scene. Where are we okay. starting this relative to the to the early years? Um, it, we well, we went in the right early years. We went right up to right before yeah. this uh, was released. So we're gonna go. I'll back up a tiny bit and just talk about the recording. Yeah. So it was recorded January 1980 and released April 14th, 1980. Yes. So uh, produced by Will Malone. Ah, good old Willie. <laughs> <laughs> Willie Malone. So we're on the, what's, geez, it's going to be 40 years. 40 years? 2020 will be 40 years for this album. Wow. 40 years, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, the crazy part <laughs> is I'm just realizing I'm going to be 40. <laughs> Thanks, Nesbitt. <laughs> Yeah, that's insane. So we did the formation of Maiden and the early lineups. Yeah. So there are Paul Diano, Dave Murray, Dennis Stratton, Clive Burr, and Steve mm-hmm. Harris. The first lineup of Maiden that most people know. Um, so Maiden's in this like huge whirlwind of activity. They recorded some demos over a few different sessions in 78 and 79. They released their Space Weird studio demos as the Soundhouse tapes on their yeah. own Rock Hard Records label. That came out November 9th, 1979. Um, and they they printed 5,000, sold 3,000 in the first week. So there's like a huge demand for Maiden product. Mm-hmm. So they get a deal with AMI Records December 15th, 1979. And now they're ready to record an album. So they try out a few producers. So Will Malone was the producer, but before him, they tried out Andy Scott. This guy, Andy Scott, apparently he tried to get Steve Harris to play with a pick. Instead of his fingers. Mm. And uh, that was the end of him. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I get a, a quote here from Steve Loopy Newhouse. He says, Another occasion found us in front of Sweet's Andy Scott. That's the band, Sweet. Yeah. He told Steve he would get a better bass sound from him if he used a plectrum. That was the last thing Andy ever said to Steve as shortly after he told him he was fired. Wow. So, <laughs> That's he good. didn't last very long. Yeah. Is it like, is it common for bass, bass players? Do they lean one way or the other? Um, I don't know. I don't yeah. know the ratio. I know a lot of people play with fingers and a lot of people play with picks. Yeah. Both. My friend I mentioned on the podcast before, the amazing bass player, my yeah. buddy Jesse, uh, he was just fingers. And yeah. I, I can't offhand now, I can't think of any bass players playing with a pick, but it's not something I've paid attention to. Yeah, it's not. I, don't I know. just assumed he didn't use one. 
Yeah, a lot of the times you don't, but yeah. I think a lot of like they just metal, pluck away, right? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of metal people would use a pick. I mean, maybe. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Don't suggest it to Steve. <laughs> so they get Will Malone. Um, so if you read about Will Malone, like on Wikipedia or anything, mm. any Maiden history, when they talk about Will Malone, they say that he had a history. He produced Black Sabbath albums. Yeah. Uh, that's not true at that's all. That's not true. No, I looked it up. I went through all the Sabbath album credits. And Will Malone has credits for arrangement on Sabotage, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and Never Say Die, yeah. but no production credits. Yeah. Um, so I don't think he was very experienced at all as far as producing Those albums. Those are pretty big albums to be involved with, though. But arrangement, yeah, it's not even producing or being an engineer. Yeah, but they didn't note him on the album, which meant he, he made a significant contribution. Well, they have to give you a credit. But arrangement, there's some yeah. songs in there that have, like, strings and stuff, and I think he might have, like, arranged some stuff. But okay. as far as producing, I don't think he had very much... Yeah. I think he was pretty green as far yeah. as that. That's one of those like CV stretches where you're like, yeah. you're not a manager at a bar, but they're never around. So you're like kind of managing and then yeah. you put manager on your CV. So the engineer for this album was Martin Levan or Levan. I don't know how you pronounce it. I think Will Malone sounds like he wasn't very interested in the whole thing. I read a bunch of interviews with Maiden members. It sounds like he basically got out of the way and let Steve Harris work with Martin Levan. And that's basically the production on this, I think. Yeah. Um, I read a Paul Diano interview, and he says Will Malone would just sit there with his feet up on the mixing console reading magazines. <laughs> nice old I'm not sure if that's 100% true, but, you know, you get the point. I think he yeah. was kind of checked out. And that's a lot of the complaints people have about this album, the production. Mm. You always hear people com- complaining about the production on this one and the big step up for Killers. Yeah, you do. But also, was it the early years documentary where you hear people saying that, like, that rough and tumble sound... Yeah, I love it. So people push back on it. I'm kind of used to it, and it's kind of a little more raw sounding. Yeah. But it kind of sounds like a young, hungry band starting out. You know what I mean? That's right. I don't know. A lot of the music I listen to has really kind of unpolished, raw sounding production. You know, it's funny that, uh, yeah, I I can look at this a few ways. And I I want to bring a story that's just tangential that just came out of another podcast I listened to. Um, I'm with you in the sense that, like, it's raw and young, which I look at, I, I very much have come to look at this as a first album, that yep. kind of rough, like, you know, you know, bleach, that kind of rough, yep. you know, even, and the one thing I would say negative about it is that between what we covered in the early years, specifically the Soundhouse tapes and the way that, that, uh, you know, the recording, they didn't use the originals, they had to go back. I, I kind of felt like maybe they could have learned more and maybe started a little higher you know, with the quality. But that said, it's this interesting perspective. And within their such polished uh, discography of studio albums that, you know, it's a uniqueness. But I, I was listening to this podcast and it was an episode about um, failure and accepting challenges. And they talked about, I just pulled it up here. They talked about this Keith Jarrett. Have you ever heard this story? Nope. He was a pianist and uh, he did the Clone concert in 1975. But the concert was arranged by this, like, German girl who was just a diehard fan. And she was 17 years old. And she went out and she uh, sold, like, two two or 3,000 tickets to this concert. And this guy, Jarrett, is – I'm not a fan, but I just heard the podcast story and I've just read about it. And it's an amazing story. And he's a known perfectionist. And he had – she had gotten in touch with him to come to this concert. She she said, he agreed. She booked all these tickets. They were expensive. He's going to come. And he's he's just this insane perfectionist. When they got there, the piano that she had planned 
wasn't the right piano. As a matter of fact, it was like a small crappy piano. And it was like, it wasn't even tuned correctly. It was a practice piano that would be like a background and like musicals. Okay. And he's a grand pianist, right? And he showed up and just was like, I'm not doing this. This is nonsense. And he left. And then she like tracked him down. She was 17 and upset. And she was like, please. And he was like, only for you. And he got his uh, manager to record it to prove to people he, he was just going to do the concert, but then he was going to prove, he was going to use it as an example of why you don't mess with me and why it has to be the same way. Anyway, it was just amazing what he did with this crappy piano, and it became his highest-selling album and one of the highest-selling pianist albums of all time. And it's known as this, like, he turned this situation, which was horrible, into something amazing. Now, it's not comparable exactly to this, but sometimes imperfections can add to something. Yeah, right. yeah, totally. Yeah, cool perspective. Yeah, because I, I, I must like this. I know it's yeah. personal taste, what you like and what you don't like. Mm. But yeah, I like the sound of the production in this album. I do too. And but... it's part of what I really like about this album. Yeah. And, I, you know, and I, I, I definitely like it. But when I watched the early years and some of the guys were like, oh, this is the best sound and this is that, you know, I realized also they were around in that era and they were seeing up the curtain horses and that roughness was very much what they loved. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. And I, I mean... I guess people are complaining and they, they're not really complaining about a raw production, but more like a muddy production. Yeah. Kind of like how the instruments kind of just lay there, like in the middle of the range or whatever you can't, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't find it bad at all. Like I can hear the drums, the bass guitars, the vocals aren't lost in the mix. I don't know. Yeah. Or like, like Metallica Kill em All kind of has that grit to it. You know, yeah. when you go back and listen to that. And that's part of what I love about that album. Yeah. I don't know. It's part of like, I guess it's just that. If you got into, yeah, I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to. Have you listened to the original pressing of the original album? Of this? Yeah, I have the you original have it, Canadian got pressing right here. Yeah. But do you listen to it much? Like, do you find a difference versus the like the what do you call it the remastered version? Um, the vinyl. I haven't really compared them back to back. Yeah. And the this original this is the original Canadian pressing. Yep. Um, when I bought that, I got it dirt cheap, and the records like in horrible condition so yeah because i just wonder if scratchy they, and poppy so because that's that's a uh, you made a point there about you know all of the different instruments stick out quite well like uh, some of the bass pieces specifically are amazing yeah and um you know paul's vocal tracks and a lot of them are awesome yeah um good instrumental like this you know there's a lot there i wondered if they didn't clean some of the stuff up because I, I wasn't listening on the original present yeah well that's yeah. something i have here this is the i have the original cd yeah the, this is the remastered enhanced CD, and this is the remaster that came out. This okay. is the one that got released a few months ago. Yeah. Or a little while ago, the Digipacks. Yeah. How many versions of this album do you have? Uh, seven. <laughs> seven <laughs> copies of this album yeah. of different forms and shapes. Yeah, and different, uh, like, I don't wow. know, I'll dig them all out now. Like, I the picture disc, the, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I got a bunch of them. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never actually taken the CDs. Yeah. And well, actually, after we're done recording this, yeah, I'm driving out to my cabin for the weekend. Yeah. Maybe I'll take these two CDs and put put them in the car and listen to track back and forth and see if I can notice a difference. Yeah, and if you notice a difference, yeah, I can pull it up in the in in the later part when we do part two. Yeah. Cool. Cool. But sometimes I wonder too about like how much do people not like the mix and how much do people just kind of repeat and pair it back. You know, people always talk about, you know, the mix on this and yeah, if it's almost just a talking point around or it, the production on it's it. like yeah. a weakness they can focus on, or it's just something that like it's just part of the conversation and people just they don't even question it because yeah. it does sound different. But or it's, is it partly that they 
they just love the Martin Birch era so much. Yeah. That because it's not Martin, the same way that some people hate the Blaze era without listening to it. That's right. Maybe they have a hate on for this because, for this production because it's not Martin Birch, not yeah. so much for what it is, but what it isn't. Yeah, it 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 it's the style, isn't it? Maybe it, maybe it is a, a lack of quality in the recording because there was no real technological advances. To, Killers comes right after and is noticeably yeah, a stepwise producer, better. Yeah. It's just a producer. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't know, really know uh, yeah. about the equipment. We use, you know what I mean? I'm yeah. not a big studio. I don't know what board they used or anything like that. Yeah, the I I, find, oh, I should have looked it up. You should have looked it up. You don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Kingsway Studios. I should, 1980, I could have probably looked up. Absolutely. So, yeah, it was recorded Kingsway Studios in West London, January 1980. So, something I read that I noticed in my research for this album. You read everywhere January 80 for recording the album. And then I found a newspaper clipping online from February 2nd, 1980. So this is from an archa- a newspaper archive. It says, Maiden Pull Out. And it says, Iron Maiden, who lined up a month-long tour through February two weeks ago, have had to postpone all dates from February 13th as they're going into the studio with producer Will Malone to record their first album. Mm-hmm. So I found this newspaper clipping, and that kind of uh, threw me off. This this says that after February 13th, they're going to the studio. Yeah. I was like, it couldn't have been recorded in January 80. Yeah, and we, we, we I think we talked about that before. This, right. The timelines here are a little iffy. But then... That would mean that they recorded after February 11th, 1980, the okay. end of February. But then February 8th, I talked about this a few episodes ago. February yeah. 8th, the Running Free single comes out with the album version on it. Yeah. Which means it obviously was recorded before then. So I kept digging and digging, and that's when I found out that they left the Muddle for Mothers tour. That newspaper clipping is wrong. Yeah. They left to mix the album. So they recorded it in January 80. It was mixed in late February. Okay. Yeah. All right, so they left it to mix. Yeah. Oh, I thought the run, running free. Well, this is a few episodes ago. My memory might be a little off. Didn't they? They had a demo version of that as well that they released somewhere. Wasn't there a demo version of that? That was yeah. That we went through that. I was on yeah. a compilation that came out. That's right. The compilation had the demo version, but it was the single that had the album, yeah. the studio album version. That's the thing. That's I right. start digging around and I find all yeah. this stuff. I also found an interview with Dennis Stratton. Yeah. He says it was recorded in December of 1979. But I looked up their tour schedule, yeah. and they had 12 gigs between December 1st and December 22nd. So they obviously didn't record, you know. Yeah. So, so he, it yeah. had to be after December 22nd and before February 1st. Yeah. So but it could have been like after Christmas, they all got together and started. Yeah, just maybe. Said, yeah, in December we started. Like. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But anyway, we're nitpicking details. We are nitpicking. We are nitpicking. I'm going to go January 1980. Um, I read an interview in Guitar World magazine. Steve Harris said it was completed in just 13 days. Wow. So then they go on the Metal for Mothers tour, Metal for Mothers tour, February 1st to February 11th. Um, they play 11 days in a row. And then they have to pull out of the concert to go mix the album. February 8th, Running Free comes out. February 15th, the Metal for Mothers compilation comes out with the two demos on it. March 7th, to 27th they go on the british steel tour opening for judas priest wow. and they play the hammersmith odeon for the first time yeah five thousand over five thousand people um so and then april 1980 they just finished opening for one of the biggest metal bands at a huge venue on the back of the running free single their album's about to drop had a few songs on compilations come out they have a huge bunch of momentum and then boom april 14th this album comes out yeah 
Wow, that the self-titled Iron Maiden album. Yeah, that Hansel is so hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're on fire. Yeah, not a busy year. So there's a huge buildup of like releases and singles and hype, and they're just getting bigger and bigger and playing bigger shows. They do this, uh, yeah, they're opening for Judas Priest in these huge venues, and then the oh, album comes out. It comes out, eh? Yeah. So, you want to get in the tracks? Yeah, sure. Start the tracks. Let's top up our beers. Mm. I must have had less in my beer than you. Wet your whistle. Wet my whistle. There we go. Nice. It feels like a while since we've done an actual album episode. It feels like a while, yeah. I can't even remember what the last episode we did, what the last <laughs> album we did was. I can't even remember. <laughs> I'm the same mind. So, Prowler. Stephen Harris has the only writing credit. He does, yeah. Um, so Prowler. So you open up your album, and right away you get Dennis Stratton chugging rhythm and Murray with his like guitar licks on the wah pedal. I love that it's just the chunk 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 and then the yeah and that that Dave intro Waylon embodies away. to me like that this you know this it it just pulls me right into this album another thing that you don't really I don't think a lot of people pay attention to the background vocal harmonies that Dennis Stratton does like he has yeah. Dennis Stratton has a really good vocals and he does really good background vocals I have a live version of Prowler and in this version you can really hear Dave Stratton's background vocals because yeah. they're up really loud in the mix his background vocals are great singing away yeah. those blue happy pills yeah. um yeah well you know what I, I i didn't even really notice that yeah if you watch yeah. old live footage yeah and you watch when dennis stratton's in the band and they do the song you can see him step up to the mic and it's him doing the background vocals yeah he has a great voice and you know now this is totally ridiculous but now whenever i hear like those harmonies like with with multiple voice, i always think now like I don't know, maybe it's the Matt Mays effect where I always think they're just redubbing their own voiceover. Yeah, I always just naturally, I never think of it as a harmony anymore. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just used to music being too mixed. Yeah, well, when you hear live stuff, that's when you can really tell. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, on most albums, I think the lead singer just does do their own harmonies. That's right. A lot of times. Yeah. That's awesome. Good catch. I didn't know. It's cool, though. Uh, Yeah. The song is kind of, you can hear the punk influence in it. Mm. Now, Steve Harris hated being punk, but like, this is has a total punk like Stooges vibe to me. You know He's what I the mean? most punk guy going. That's the silly part, right? Yeah. It has this really cool energy to it. It does. And that's what I think the punk when people talk about punk, I think a lot of times when people say punk too, they think about like modern punk. Yeah. But I'm talking about like Stooges, the damn that kind of old kind of punk. Yeah. 
attitude kind of i don't know i always energy yeah i always think of like you know with punk i always find like there's that perfect imperfections like sometimes they intentionally like and sometimes he's a little bit rambling in certain parts with his vocals but it works yeah you get that from the paul too yeah yeah it just sounds really aggressive the song which is kind of cool yeah like the song the sound of the song and the cover art yeah are like a total good match they are totally you know what I mean? It, just the mood and the feel of this song. Oh, yeah. Totally fits, like, when you look at the first album cover. Well, I love the riff in this song. But for me, I think that this song, this song, more than anything, and perhaps it's the opener, but I just find, and maybe it's also because so many of the other tracks have been plucked and put in other contexts in my mind. But it, this sound defines the album for me. This yeah. and Phantom of the Opera are, like, the two where I'm yeah. like, that's super. Like, Iron Maiden, the track, like, you could put that anywhere. It's been played on every tour. It doesn't feel like, it yeah. feels like a band song. And then I just find like Prowler right away, and even to a, a to a lesser extent like Transylvania. I just find those the sound. We'll, we'll highlight it when we get to those tracks, but there's just this riff that's just it pulls me into this album. Yeah, and it's I find cool it, uh, yeah. opener to. I don't know. It has this like punk attitude. Yeah, kind of like Eddie on the cover. He looks he looks like a badass. He looks. Bad. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's he just like. like Electric know. Matthew. He's kind of nasty and in your face looking. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so they open up this album with this like raw rocker, and they like give you a kick in the teeth right away. Right. Mm-hmm. This is. This is a textbook example of Paldiano being better than Bruce on this era stuff. Yeah. Like Prowler 88 does not compare to this. Even though the production, everyone says the production is better. This version over the Bruce Dickinson version. Yeah, but the song doesn't play into any of Bruce's advantages, so. That's true. Yeah. It's, but uh, it's, it's, I get it's a, a Paul song. Version of, I have a clip here where I compare, compare the two versions. Is it that okay? First off, yeah, that I agree with you. There's two issues here that, with with that comparison and saying that that Paul's is better. Okay, the the first issue is that you've always heard it with Paul, so when you hear it with Bruce, you just true. naturally it gonna, is true, you know. Yeah. But the second issue is that's not Bruce. That's raspy. 80s, late 80s, that's early true, 90s yeah. Bruce. That's not real Bruce. That's true. That's the worst Bruce ever. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, God. As soon as he started singing, I was like, yeah. that, it's not It's not the fact that it's Bruce that you hate. You yeah. hate that era. Well, and it's singing. also that Bruce, Bruce's strengths are his voice and his being able to sing really well. And yes. this is, and Paul's is his attitude. And he has a great voice too. But when Bruce tries to turn his voice, it's not yeah. playing to his strength. Like you said, he's just kind of like trying to sound raspy yeah it's horrible yeah that's not horrible it's just i don't think Uh, it's as good as paul's the the no when you're listening to that clip when it goes back and forth yeah like when you're hearing paul it's like i don't know it's like yeah and then bruce comes in you're like "Eh." yeah and paul comes back in you're like oh yeah 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 i don't know okay that's just me uh remember that uh that solo album we did the the one before no prayer uh bruce's solo album was it uh 
Oh, Tattooed Millionaire? Tattooed Millionaire, yeah. yeah sorry. Skip, skip my mind there. That that, <laughs> that raspiness. That's what that reminds me of. Um, <laughs> what I love about this um, song is I love the riff that runs through it, but the guitar solo I find is, is perfect. Oh, yeah. Uh, hit that up. Yeah, Dave Murray. So the way the way I interpret that, that's awesome, and it fits the song perfectly. Is like two minutes in to the first track on your album, it's like we're here. You yeah. know, that's the way I always when I hear that. Like yeah. the the intro is just this really cool sound, and then Paul starts yeah. rumbling, and it's then like really two minutes in, it's just awesome. Yeah, it's such a great. And Clive Burr's drums, like this yeah. is another album where we'll probably be talking about Clive Burr's drumming a lot. Yeah, because he really he's excellent. He has a great feel to these songs. It must have been a hundred years ago when we did the album intros, but I mean, where did we rank this? I wonder. But I would put this as one of my highs now. When we're done all these albums, we have to do an episode Ugh. where we just all we do is rank the albums and go back and critique ourselves. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's cool. Awesome album opener. Yeah, I love it. No, I know what part I love. The part where he's like, "Can you believe that feeling? Can you believe it? Can't you believe your eyes?" And he's like, "It's the real thing, girl." <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. There is some cheesy it's, lyrics. It sounds, and that's yeah. one of the things when Bruce sings it. It yeah. sounds super cheesy when Bruce says it. I know. But when Paul says it, I just buy it for some reason. I know. I it makes know sense. <laughs> God. Fantastic solo. That's fantastic great. song. Great intro. Yeah. Paul did a great version of this. Bruce's version is pretty good. Yeah. No need to be re-recording these songs. I always say that. Yeah. And like what well, I used to always say, let Paul sing the songs that are meant for Paul. But then we <laughs> kind of realized that these songs weren't actually meant for Paul. No. The songs like had two singers before Paul even got in the band. So. That's right. That's right. Paul was relatively new. Yeah. He's not even the first Paul to sing the song. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. He's the second out of three. He's the best Paul to sing this song, though. Yeah. Yeah. Better than Paul Bruce Dickinson and Paul Mario Day. Yeah. For all the grief I'm going to give him, he is excellent on this album. Yeah. There's no question. Oh, my God, yeah. You know, his tenure previously and, and after Maiden, you know. Yeah. I'll stand by my statements on those. <laughs> this album, well, I think he's even awesome. as big of a Paul fan yeah. as I am, and I do like a lot of his solo stuff and yeah. stuff they did with Battlezone after. Like the highlight of his career was the Maiden stuff. I mean, really? Yeah, no, by far. I don't think there's anyone that would be like, well, actually, Battlezone is better. You know what I mean? These two Maiden albums are classic. That's like the understatement. That's like someone who went to the NHL finals and then, or, oh, God, sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way, but I was like, that's like someone who, you know, played an NHL career for like three years and then went and like worked at a fast food place. And you were like, oh, the peak of their life was when they played in the NHL. <laughs> it's like, true. do you think? Do you think? Good analogy. <laughs> this is big. You know, you know, Paladino from from Battlezone. Yeah. Oh, he was an Iron Maiden. Yeah, really? I, mean, I forgot he did something. I didn't before, know that before he was in Architects of Chaos. <laughs> oh God. Next track. Next track. I am Blaze Bailey. You're listening to Talking Maiden, the podcast of the Beast, possibly the best podcast in the world. Remember Tomorrow. Excellent track. So Steve Harris and Paul Diano has a writing credit on this too. Yeah. Because uh, he came up with some of the lyrics. Yeah. Is this is this Paul's best vocals? Mm. Hmm. I wonder. Maybe. I'm, I'm I think s- it probably is. 
Yeah. You know why I'm I'm so spoiled on this track? I love it. Do you know this why? This is one of my yeah. favorite Maiden tracks of all time. Top 10 Maiden track of all time. So, like, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, well, no longer than that, we went out to that vinyl fair and picked up, I picked up the Maiden Japan, which I never had, right? Yeah. And I got a, uh, an original pressing, well, you know, one of the original versions. Yeah. Um, Canadian version. And it's in great condition. And, oh, what an awesome album to listen to. Yeah. It's just and the so version short. of Remember Tomorrow on that is like, It's awesome. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. where I'm going. Like that, I love this track, but that really took it to a new level. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorite Maiden tracks, and it's probably my favorite. It's tied for first with another track for my favorite Paul Diano era Maiden song. No idea. I'll tell you when I get to it. Oh. It's on this album. Okay, cool. <laughs> Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. So I get a, yeah, this Phantom of the Opera and Remember Tomorrow are my two yeah. favorites. But this I'd, song has always been in my top 10 Maiden songs. You know, I'd put, I, I love Transylvania so much and Prouder too, but we'll, we'll, we'll get through okay. them, yeah. So I get a quote from Paul Diano, and he says, Obviously, I remember writing my songs. Remember Tomorrow, a lot of the songs were ready and in place to be recorded for the first album when I joined. So I have another quote here where he said, uh, he's talking about his grandfather. He says, I lost him in 1980 when I was on tour. Remember tomorrow is what he used to always say. That was a little catchphrase. You never know what's going to happen. Remember tomorrow. It might be a better day. Yeah. So that's where the title came from. Fair point. Yeah. You know, I never even really thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> Remember tomorrow. It's a great way to, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this is one of my top 10 Maiden songs of all time. It's really intense. And the way it builds up to that awesome riff, I just love the way... I don't know, it's just awesome. From out of the oh. So it's cool. Best. But I just love it, the way it builds, 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 and then mm. boom, boom. Da -dum, da -dum, da -dum. it's just so cool. I also love how it's like, it's like scan the horizon, the clouds take me higher. I shall return from out of the, yeah, and it's fire, but he never really no, I know. hits it and it's just cool. I don't know. It's just a. Yeah. It's a best vocal performance. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think of it, anything that compares yeah. to this from my perspective. This is one of the ones where when I'm driving in the car and there's no one else in the car on the highway. Yeah. I crank like, it up and scream the song at the top of my lungs. <laughs> yeah. Man, it's epic track. And the tempo, tempo mm. changes in it and the solos, there's some cool like effects on the guitars and the solos. If anyone's wondering about Dennis Stratton, mm. this is where you get his first solo on the album. So this is Dennis Stratton's solo on Remember Tomorrow. Yeah, that's that's an underwhelming solo for me, to be honest. Yeah, but yes. it's still it's a good solo. It's it shows that solo. he's an awesome guitar player. Yeah, well, compared to Murray's yeah. Prowler solo. Yeah, a little less polished sounding yeah. than Dave Murray. Yeah, and yeah, and this is another song where like the the production, that rawness comes through of the yeah. production, which I like actually. It's a little Adrian esque too, but you know it's crazy like the way that they both play around. You know, like so Adrian and Dennis like. They both have backup vocal aspects to them, and they both have this very picking style, although I can't really comment yeah. much on Dennis Stratton's, uh, um, you know, style. But uh, it, it's interesting that they both, there's that, that similarity there. I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It, it's a really weird song, too. 
Like, you're into track two on the album. Yeah. And then you get this, like, I don't know, those, like, eerie-sounding kind of ballad, and then it has this big guitar freak out in the middle. Yeah. And then it goes back into the ballad again, which is kind of cool. It's just this, like, they threw away the traditional song structures, and they're just, like, doing whatever they want to do. Yeah. Which is what Maiden's all about, right? Yeah. A huge statement to do that on the second track. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the first the first side of the disc is pretty groovy, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's 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 different. I love this track. Do you do you you, you still have a clip handy for? Because uh, we we listened, we went through uh, Made in Japan a bit. We did, play, we did play an episode from that. Okay. I would love this version. So yeah, the version yeah. from Made in Japan is yeah. even better. I think. Yes, it's better. Paul sounds insanely good on this, and it's a bit heavier too. That's amazing. So, made in Japan because we we covered it a, a bit. I mean, yeah, I, we did a whole I, yeah. episode on it. Yeah, yeah, and like I listened to it. I was listening to it digitally, and yeah. now like I've got the disc and listening to it, like loving it nonstop. As a matter of fact, I was kind of counting it as my prep for this, even though it's only two oh, tracks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, yeah. oh, I gotta. Uh, I love that. Like I've gotten, I've just gotten so deep into it. It's awesome. It's like I've had it out since I since I bought it, just rotating it constantly. It's every second play on my on my player. <laughs> Yeah, I always thought of uh, Made in Japan as a single, um, but now that I, I have it, I, I I have the five track version. I think there was a there was a four okay. track. There was an extra track to that. Yeah. Child, right? Yeah, there's a few different yeah ones. So, so there's five five live tracks. That's like a live album, isn't it? It's a small one. What do we call An it? EP. EP. Yeah. So what is it? Because there's LP, EP. We we went through this before. I'm never going to yeah. remember this crap. Like to me, I was like extended play. Yeah. Yeah, extended play. You know what I did? I looked down and I was like. It's a big, big disc. Oh, 12 inch, <laughs> it's yeah. a 12-inch. It's a 12-inch. And it's got live songs. I'm like, this counts a lot of discs for me. Because you know why I justified it that way? Because I was like, I have all the studio albums and live albums is what I'm building out. A few, few, I've got a few holes, but I'm yeah. building it out. But I didn't, remember we've always talked about we're not getting into the singles because it's yeah, just... Yeah, you know, I haven't gotten into the 7-inch singles. But you've got some of them. you got a couple, don't you? Uh, no, I have all the 12-inch singles. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't have them on 7. There you go. Because I'm afraid to start buying them. Because then that's another <laughs> door I opened. <laughs> are you are you even a fan? Yeah. So it's not you wouldn't count it as a live disc. But there's there was what 17 or 15 something tracks. I think it was 17 uh, that was played at that show. And five yeah, they played released. three. Yeah. So uh, that's why it's in, in yeah. Japan. Yeah. Yeah. I have bootlegs of them too. I should give you those because oh. I do have the full concert. Yeah. Yeah, the full concert. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, look. Everybody should get that. The quality that I've, of the bootlegs that I have isn't very good. Isn't very good. Well, not of the night that this that Made in Japan's from. Yeah. Isn't great. But you know that if they have, if they put up Made in Japan, they must have the whole thing recorded in good quality. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know why they're sitting on it. Yeah. Ah, oh, kills me. More stuff in the Maiden Vault that I want to get my hands on. Absolutely. But the, the example there with Remember Tomorrow, like, 
it, the quality of that live. It's actually better live. Oh, yeah. And that whole, oh, man, that whole, I mean, it's only yeah. that and Running Free on the Made in Japan from this album. And I, I guess it's a bit of a segue for us in this in yeah. covering this album. But it's just such a great album for the yeah. early year. You have to have Made in Japan. And it's so accessible. Yeah, it's I got great. it for, like, nothing. Yeah. 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 But this, it, this song, Remember Tomorrow, mm. it does, I think it does come off better live. Yeah. Even better than the album. Bruce Absolutely. does it live and it sounds great too. He doesn't sound as good as Paul. Um, you know, but when you get into like the later years, like I have a clip here from 2005, Maiden played uh, Sweden. This kind of turned me around a bit on Bruce singing the song because, um, well, here's a clip. I'll just let the clip speak for itself. This song, this song was the song that, uh, well, it got me the job with Iron Maiden. Long, long time ago, long, long time ago, they asked me to sing this little song. And uh, they said, well, if you sing this song, you're in. So I sang it about five times in the first time made tour we ever did. Brings back a lot of memories for me. And, well, it's a very cool song. It's called Remember Tomorrow. So when Bruce does it now, like that's pretty good. Yeah, it's like he yeah figured out how to sing it. Awesomely. Like you know, when he's really carrying there his voice, that's awesome. But yeah. in the like, there's so many parts about the song where it's not so much singing. It's like, and then you know, just his voice tone and his accent yeah. makes it feel different. Yeah, I don't like that part of it. What what hit me right away with that was the drumming. But now that's a, it's a bootleg. So yeah, but uh, yeah, I that think was horrible. Clive, Clive and yeah. Nico, we should really like compare their styles when we're doing this album. Yeah, yeah, because that just really distracted me yeah. completely. It just felt like it was totally off. Yeah. Well, we went yeah. through. We mentioned a few times. I had examples where I played two mm. clips back to back of like Clive playing something and Nico yeah. playing something. He's a lot busier. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. Well, that's an example there where it almost felt awkward because but it Clive wasn't that busy. Clive has a unique feel, yeah. and so does Nico. So it's just like, which style do you like better on which song? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's too bad we couldn't hear Clive play some of the. Nico songs and see how it changed. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I, I barely even focused on the vocal differences in with Bruce. Like, you know, I don't know. I, I It's a Paul song. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's just my view. It's a Paul this song. This one actually is a Paul song. It's a Paul song. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's not one of the ones that was kicking around forever. Yeah. Like, Paul actually had a writing credit on it. So it wasn't one of the mm-hmm. ones that was around for two years when then he came in the band. Um, it's funny, at the beginning of that clip, Bruce talks about, and I know I went into this in the, I think it was the Made in Japan. Yeah. I, I can't, I've talked about this months and months and months and episodes ago. But I'm going to play it again, or talk about it again. I'm going to talk about it again, just because it's uh, it's kind of a cool clip to play. So, in that last live clip, Bruce says that he, you know, he says he sang the song mm. to get into the band. Yeah. So, it's the version of Remember Tomorrow on the B-side of the Number of the Beast single. So, that recording with Bruce singing it is a fake live recording. So... It's the same version from Made in Japan, yes. but they stripped Diano's voices out, voice yes, out. Yes, that's right. And they laid and they overdubbed Bruce's new vocals over it and released that as the B side of the single. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got a quote that says, "We just went into a rehearsal room and we never recorded anything there. We just played. I just sang over backing tapes that they already had. They were live tracks." Wow. So the Bruce version on the B side of Number of the Beast is the Paul version with the vocals replaced. So that's when I took the one from Made in Japan and the yeah. B-side. And if you lay them over top of each other, mm. they sound identical because all the instrumentation and the audience and everything, it's the exact same recording. Mm. But the vocals are different. When you play them together, you get like a cool duet with Paul and Bruce. So this is Paul, Diano, and Bruce singing. two of them singing together i wish i, I had a blaze version that i could add on top so oh, have a, the three of them singing together yeah i wonder how blaze would do this song yeah they seems like one, one that blaze would really do a good job on the fact that they could rip his vocals out that means that they have some component recordings right i guess the soundboard they must record all the tracks yeah. separately or something. independently I which means so. that for like made in japan they probably could really do a high quality yeah. full album back to what we were talking about before you know, or at least they have a, you know, if you can, if you can scrub his out anyway, then you have a high enough recording, even if it is condensed to, to wheel it back. That's yeah. awesome. Well, the amount of stuff that Maiden must have recorded, like I'm sure they have every concert recorded from the soundboard. Oh, I don't know how far going back, but enough that they could have a live, you know, a live album released every month for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? Like, Which I would buy. So they released that on the number of the B single. 
which was off the top of your head. Do you remember? Well, it was you know right around. I mean, Bruce was new. Yeah. Um, and they probably went in and had him record that. That might have been uh, – I we, we went through it on the podcast. But either way, that's such a Paul song. He has a writing credit on it. And then right away they release a version. It's kind of like a kick in the pants, It's isn't the same it? thing they did with Blaze, remember? Yeah. Bruce – before Brave New World came out. Yeah. The single came out with Bruce doing Blaze songs on it. That's right. It's weird. That is a weird thing, yeah. isn't it? I guess it's to bridge it, maybe, but there, you could take that negatively. Yeah, it's Couldn't almost you? like, they it's like you're erasing it. Yeah. yeah, especially on like one of your core songs that had a lot of meaning to you. So, have you heard the newest mm. Metallica album? No. So the expanded version, there's like a three CD mm. version. Is it three CDs or three LPs? I can't remember. But they do a one of the bonus tracks on yeah. their new album is Metallica doing a version of Remember Tomorrow. And this is one of the times when a cover version of the song is as good as like this is the Metallica version is as good as the Maiden version, I think. And that's saying a lot because this is one of my favorite Maiden songs. So check this out. Unchain the colors before my eyes. Yesterday's sorrow. It's almost better. Yeah. Oh awesome. God, I hate it. That, <laughs> that's a great version. Of it. That's Lars Ulrich on the drums, isn't it? Yeah, Is I he still a, with them. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I got a quote from Lars. He says, "We played Remember Tomorrow as it was basically the blueprint for songs like Fade to Black and Welcome Home." Yeah. Sanitarium, and some of the more epic ballady type of songs that Metallica had done later on. Maiden are ten percent cooler than every other band. Really? They're huge maiden hits. Oh, yeah. oh my God. I loved, I love Metallica. Yeah. yeah. I told this story on the podcast yeah. about how, you know, I got out of them because of the MP3 stuff. Like I was, Metallica was my band. I was yeah. into Iron Maiden. I, I have nothing to do with them now. And See, I don't think, what, I, don't I know. I big hate for like. No, but I. Because they didn't actually, there's a big, a lot of people are talking about how Metallica, yeah. people think that they sued their fans. Yeah. Which they didn't. They no. sued Napster. Yes, they did. Right. The only thing they did, they did provide a na- a list of names of people that downloaded yeah. stuff and provided that in court as evidence while they were suing Napster. Yeah, but it wasn't just that. I mean, I was like 19 years old and a diehard Metallica fan and basically like, fuck the man. And they were like, yeah, we're going to stand up for these record companies as they sue random people. Like, cause people like... But they weren't th- suing people. At the time, Nesbitt, everybody was like, if you download MP3s, yeah, you can I get know, sued. Know, yeah. and, it, and our yeah. university came out with like a policy on it and like, oh, well, you can't be sharing MP3s. And like, and Metallica was front and center. Yeah. And I took my Metallica stuff and I threw it in the garbage. That's crazy. I did, yeah, all of it. See, that, that all the stuff with yeah. the... Ride the when, Lightning I remember and, when all this and happened, Master Puppets were my two favorites. Yeah. When all this happened... Yeah, Ride the Lightning, so great. Yeah. Um, and Puppets, too. Um, when this... All this Metallica stuff happened with mm. Napster, I remember being like... I didn't have any neg... I remember thinking, like, yeah, of course they're of course they're pissed off people are stealing all their music. Yeah. <laughs> I just, like, Napster had just come out, and I was like... 
downloading all this music all over the place. Everyone was. Yeah, but it's just Lars Ulrich as a tool. Yeah, anyway, that's true. <laughs> to give you my full my full reach on it, like the only thing I had left, because that was, I don't know why it was, but I had my music collection split. And for some reason, I never had my Ride the Lightning album. But everything else I binned uh, or gave away. Yeah. And um, But what I would give to have back my, my Master Puppets tape. Oh, I have a Master Puppets that. cassette tape yeah. in my shed. If you but want I had the cassette, but I had that, that was... I used to deliver pizzas, and that was in my. I listened to oh, yeah. that. I swear to God, I listened to that album through probably at least three hundred times, maybe oh, yeah. five hundred times. Like just, it was always in there to the point where people were like, "Like, oh, can you change it?" Oh, I just flip it over. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll put on something else. Flip the side, flip the and I mean, like, there's no way. It's always that was in my car all the time. Was Master it's Puppets, classic. right? And then uh, you know. So I love them. And then Headfield did the Rogan podcast, and that was awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I've been saying, oh, I think I'm going to order, get get all their discs yeah. and listen. Yeah. Because I can, you know. But uh, And they've done some great stuff. Some of their new albums are apparently yeah. amazing. But I mean, there the are. The newest album is really good. Yeah, there are popular metallic albums that I've never heard because of that feud. It's not ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I am weird like that. But uh, anyway, they did a really good cover of Remember Tomorrow. Mm. So you should check it out. Go online and check out, stream it or do whatever. Man. But listen to the whole thing. And the the middle part where Iron Maiden does that lean over the tempo changes and it gets really fast. Mm. Metallica does it Metallica style. Yeah. It's really thrashy and just like this blistering guitar solo. It's really, really cool. Yeah. It's an awesome version of an awesome song. Yeah. Are they the best metal, metal band of all time? Who? Maiden? Of course. No, Metallica. <laughs> like, I mean, in terms of just popularity. Oh, popularity, sure. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Like there's no one bigger than them. I would say, yeah, yeah. Obviously, let me let me think. I don't but, know. You know, I'm biased. Are Metallica bigger than? I mean, I can't be probably. like, yeah, definitely Iron Maiden are better. I just admitted I think a couple months ago. Album, if you're going to like, uh, because they have the black yeah. album, I think maybe if you're looking at record sales and stuff, mm. they definitely would be. But the Iron black Maiden. album, I remember, they, 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 it was awesome, but it wasn't my favorite album. Like, I love the black album. Yeah, it was it was excellent, but I I don't know why I would just love Master Puppets better, and I thought yeah, that I was think a Puppets common. Is better Puppets mm. and Ride the Lightning and Justice mm. for All are all better yeah. albums. But the Black Album, I think, is also awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's turning into a Metallica podcast. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Digress. That's all right. Yeah. Um, well, wait now. They right. did They did play a version of the very track we're talking about. So this is much more credible than that's most true. of our tam- tangents. <laughs> and I true. didn't. We went from Metallica. I didn't bring up the Leafs once. Oh, that's true. That's true. So, you know, pat on the back, Taylor. So, uh, yeah. Remember tomorrow. Uh, mm. We're at, like, almost an hour or so. Okay. So we that's can, we can but, wrap uh, it up for the next one. That's yeah. cool. Metallica did a version. They said that Iron Maiden are 10% cooler than every other band. Yeah. Which is, I think is true. Yeah. This, this, and this, this song is, is also true. It's kind of like a template for like Children of the Damned. And you know those like Maiden songs that are kind of slow and then they ramp mm. up. Like this is the first time you hear it. It's the second song into the album. Yeah. And it's kind of the mellow and then into a ramp up. Mm. Which is like the first time they did that. And you know, what is it, like five and a half minutes or something? It's pretty epic. Yeah. You know. Uh, and what a, what, what a one-two punch to start the album. Oh, oh, yeah. God, man. I love these two tracks. Another version of this, I just, I don't have a clip of it, mm. but uh, Uncle Acid and the Dead Beats, which yeah. is a band that I, I love, um, they mm. do a, I had, that's a 45, a seven inch single that I have. Yeah. Is, uh, they do a cover of this. Yeah. And they do a pretty good version if you're into them. Oh, cool. Yeah. Love to hear. You know, with this uh, strong opening, and then at the back of the album, you know, um, Charlotte the Harlot and uh, Iron Maiden, a little bit, maybe overplayed in my mind or something that I yeah. find I, I I you know I love the front of this disc a lot more yeah. than the back yeah. yeah but 
that's a digression. I'll, I'll get into that in the next one. So we're going to step through. We've still got a bunch of stuff to do on the album. Um, some of the stuff and how it was received, cover art, all those things. We're going to get yep. through all that as we as we do some tracks yeah. over the next little while. So it's going to be the a bit first of fun. Iron Maiden album. Yeah. yeah. Episode one in the in the bank. <laughs> Episode one. And um, I guess we're going to be recording these over a period. We'll be doing a break and some feedback. So if you have any commentary on this album. Yep. Um, and even if you have any more comments on the early years, especially as it pertains yeah. to this. Or anything. any Anything at all. Yeah. We'll just try and slip it in when, when it's appropriate. Yeah. Uh, Talkingmaiden.com slash talk. Yeah. Or send us an email. Email's on the site. Yep. Or message us on Facebook or Twitter. We're on there as well. Yep. We good to go? Let's do it. We got it all? Yeah. <laughs> hit us hit him with the catchphrase. End, end with the catchphrase? What's the catchphrase again? <laughs> Until next time, up the irons and down the hops. <laughs> <laughs>